0: here at Hot Metal have shaped their senses of call uh, to ministry, Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing about that so that we can uh, celebrate together. I do want to say I I got all caught up in the excitement um, and making the announcement about this, and I said that Dave and Jillian are both finished with seminary as of this weekend, but that's not true. Dave's finished. Jillian has one more year um, before she'll be finished with um, with her academic work, Um, so we will continue to pray for you as you... uh, Finish your work there. But um, yeah, you ready to share? I'm ready. I'm, I'm um, ready to hear. Okay.
1: All right. <laughs> All right. I'm actually going to start with a scripture verse, uh, Matthew 9, 9 through 13. Jesus went on from there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat with him and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, is it, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So, everyone here has been so kind and great about sharing their stories with me. So, I thought it was time for me to kind of share my story with you guys. I have always been kind of oblivious and spacey. (laughs) So, uh, it took a really long time for anyone to notice that it wasn't that I wasn't paying attention, but I was honestly not hearing people when they spoke to me. It wasn't until I was married and living with my husband, Justin, and he noticed that if the TV was on, or if I was washing dishes and the water was on, I wouldn't even realize that he was talking to me, let alone know what he was saying. So he recommended that I go see a doctor. Well, six months after my failed hearing test, uh, I finally got diagnosed with Meniere's disease. Now, Meniere's disease is a uh, accumulation of liquid that's in my ears that is eroding the hair and the nerves that are there, which causes balance problems, uh, violent vertigo attacks, and uh, hearing loss. I was told by my doctor that in the next five to 10 years, I would go completely deaf. And that was really scary for me. And I had no clue what I was going to do. I was in my first year of seminary, and all I could think of, how am I supposed to be a pastor if I can't hear my congregation? It was a really hard time for me, because I didn't know what I was supposed to do anymore. And I felt like I misheard God. And that's when this amazing thing happened. I. It was a regular day, and I went to get my mail, and there was a magazine that I was not subscribed to, that I've never even heard of before. And yet there it was with my name on it, and on the front cover was the story of a deaf pastor. And it was exactly what I needed, exactly when I needed it, because I finally saw that just because I won't be able to hear anymore does not mean I won't be able to be a pastor anymore. So uh, I started taking ASL classes so that even after I lost my hearing, I would still be able to communicate. And that's where I learned about deaf culture and deaf pride. It's where I learned that While Meniere's didn't change my call to be a pastor, it did change who I should be a pastor to. It was there that I learned that the most unreached group of people for the church is people who are deaf and hard of hearing. And that was surprising to me. And yet it makes sense. To make a church or service accessible to someone in a wheelchair, you build ramps. To make a church or service accessible to someone who's blind, you have uh, signs in Braille. But there's a lot more commitment needed to make some place accessible to someone who is deaf or hard of hearing. It takes a week after week commitment to have a certified interpreter there. Or it takes you actually going out and learning a new language, a new culture which is a lot to ask. I felt my calling was so much more than being another pastor. It was being specifically a pastor for the deaf and hard of hearing. So it only made sense when the time came for my field education that I wanted to go somewhere with a deaf ministry. However, like I said, the deaf is the most unreached group So there's not a lot of churches that have a deaf ministry. In Pittsburgh, there are three. So I went to each of those churches. And while the first church, the Catholic church, I was not surprised. It still hurt when I heard, no, we don't want you because you're a girl. The other one, though. I was very surprised to hear the same thing. No, we don't want you because you're a girl. I didn't know what to do. The deaf community was where I felt welcome and accepted at a time when I couldn't understand my hearing friends and family and they were just getting frustrated with me that I would ask them to learn a new language. And then I felt rejected and denied, because apparently women do not belong in leadership roles in ministry. Thankfully, though, even though Hot Metal already had Maggie and Becky and Dave, they were able to get a grant so that I, too, could come and join this family. My time at Hot Metal has been life-changing. Hot metal is a place of radical acceptance. You don't need to be perfect or pretend you're perfect at hot metal. It takes, come as you are, seriously. You never have to worry about being rich enough, clean enough, sober enough, straight enough, hearing enough, healthy enough, neurotypical enough, or enough of anything else to be accepted here. You just are. Magically, you walk through the door, and there are people who love you and accept you. Which is ironic, that it's so hard to find that in churches when I see Hot Metal's radical hospitality as exemplifying Jesus. Whenever uh, Jesus was radically accepting, the Pharisees asked, why would jesus be friends with tax collectors and sinners jesus why do you hang out with them they're the bad crowd and jesus don't you know that these people are prostitutes and sinners sometimes i hear this pharisee's voice in my own head asking a very similar question god why would you let a girl preach in front of your children don't you know about all of these things that she's done? God, why are you letting this woman in a leadership position when she's not the right person? God, why would you bother? And I hear these modern day Pharisees say the same thing about hot metal. Hot metal, why would you extend an open hand to the homeless? Why are you supposedly a church willing to show love to the LGBTQIA? Hot metal, don't you know how hard it is to be accept- accessible to people who are disabled, who are deaf, and who have mental illness? I love hot metal, and I'm really going to miss hot metal because I feel that hot metal does an amazing job at exemplifying Jesus by being radically accepting. It was never a question at hot metal of whether they should accept a girl. It's funny when I first decided my call to follow my call to ministry, I never thought anything of my gender. I grew up watching my mom preach on Sunday, so it was never a question for me. I learned quickly though that it was a question for a lot of other people. In my very Catholic college, when I told my monk professor that I wanted to go to seminary, he almost had a heart attack. <laughs> And yet I came here and it was never a problem. They had Jen and Maggie and Becky and they never gave a second thought about my gender. I could come as I was, girl and all. With Heather as our interpreter, my hearing wasn't an issue for the first time in a very long time. I was able to connect the dots when I didn't hear something I knew exactly where to look to be able to understand what was happening. I was able to improve my sign language, and even though I'm still far from perfect, I am improving every day. I'm able to communicate with people and understand. I lost a lot of relationships with friends and family whenever I got my diagnosis, because I didn't wanna go to loud restaurants where a bunch of people were talking and I didn't know what was going on, and I was lost and confused. And yet, once a week, I found a home because at Hot Metal, I could have conversations completely with my hands. And I knew what was going on, and I wasn't lost. I knew exactly what was being said. Hot Metal was a place where I could be accepted, hard of hearing and all. Sorry. (laughs) And then I came to know more about Hot Metal. I learned about their kintsugi service and all that Autumn does. And it was mind blowing for me because at the church I grew up in, you don't talk about mental health. You don't talk about mental illnesses. I never would have been able to tell the people at my old church that I was in therapy. That was taboo. You don't talk about. And yet, I came here, and in staff meeting and in services, it was talked about openly, because we care just as much about your mental health as we do physical health. At Hot Metal, it didn't matter that I struggle with anxiety, depression, and PTSD. That's not a deal breaker. And yet, I come here, it's fine. I'm not loved in spite of my mental illnesses. I'm loved, period. Hot metal loved me, mental illness and all. I love hot metal so much because of its radical acceptance. And it takes you, come as you are, seriously. And I'm going to miss it as I leave for my next church and the one after that and the one after that because radical acceptance is not at every church. Some churches aren't going to like me because I'm a girl or are going to get upset with me when I don't understand them or I need accommodations in order to have access to things that they do without any issue. Some churches are not going to want to hear that their pastor isn't perfect. But you know what? Because of my time at Hot Metal, I feel that I can be radically accepting, even when others aren't. When the church that claims to follow Christ forgets that he ate with tax collectors and sinners, I will show them Christ. And if they need to know what that looks like, here and now, I will show them hot metal. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Jillian. Jillian was worried that she was going to cry, <laughs> <And> I <did. laughs> but I, I cried first. Um, it's, been a, it's been a gift um, having you here doing ministry with us at Hot Metal um, on staff and in the congregation. Um, can, we just, uh, can we just pray real quick? Um, God, we're just uh, so thankful that you have uh, called Jillian to this community. Um, We're so glad those other jerks said no, because we got to have Jillian here with us. And she has been such a blessing um, to this community, um, to folks who are hearing and folks who are not hearing. Um, And she has been uh, tireless in um, her work and reaching out to um, the deaf community and creating um, events where people of all um, different levels of hearing can um, feel included and feel, Um, Part of the fun and part of the conversation. And um, I'm grateful for that and um, looking forward to seeing uh, what you will call her to next um, and the ways that you will use uh, her faithfulness and her gifts to bless others. Amen. Thank you, Jillian. Oh. Yeah.
2: I didn't know about de Meniere's disease. I have a friend who had onset of Meniere's disease when she was an infant, and she's now 77. Unfortunately, she didn't learn American science, she learned to read lips, which she does amazingly well. And when she speaks, she speaks, I cannot tell the difference, if she, but she's almost totally deaf. But this has gone on for a whole life, and I really want to. I wanted to say this now because I not, might not be able to get you and Heather together to, uh, to interpret this. But uh, she's an inspiration. She's a woman of faith, too.
0: Thanks, Roger. Guys, today's a twofer. You also get to hear from Dave, um, which I'm excited to hear about as well. Are you ready? Yep. I'm ready
2: to time myself because I didn't prepare anything (laughs) as usual. So um, I can distinctly remember being 38 years old and coming to the realization that I had accomplished everything that I set out to do in life and I I tell you this not out of a sense of pride of accomplishment, but out of the same sense that I felt at that time. And that was a sense of loss of direction um, because I had spent my entire life up to that point driving forwards um, at every opportunity to reach those goals. And when I finally did, and I couldn't figure out what else I wanted, I had. Um, Two beautiful children. I had a wife that I loved dearly. Uh, I had uh, successful businesses. Um, I, I I felt a sense of loss, not knowing where to go next. And five years later, um, May twelfth, two thousand and thirteen, I found myself on a beach in North Carolina, just. Broken and lost, Uh, having lost all of that, uh, my marriage was gone, my businesses were gone, my mother had died uh, three months prior to the day, it was Sunday, it was Mother's Day, and I had no clue where I was going to go or what I was going to do. I was as broken as I could possibly be. And um, I remember it was about 70 degrees and very strong wind, so much so that the sand was blowing and was getting your eyes. And it was too cold to be on the beach, so there was nobody on the beach but me with a raincoat over my head and my mother's Bible. And I just, random text opened the Bible to the book of James and I read the book of James And um, I finished reading the book of James and I just consciously sat there for a minute and decided that I was going to let God guide the rest of my life. And I wasn't going to take my own direction. I was going to seek God's direction for me. And I had no idea how to do that. I spent the next year and a half or so um, reading. I think it was like 61 books uh, over that year and a half. Um, And then I found myself in seminary, and uh, it was three and a half years ago. Um, Towards the end of that term, uh, probably exactly two years after I was on that beach, I found myself here. Uh, my first day here, I met a girl with a purple streak in her silver hair. Was the first person I met, <laughs> and it was uh, it was also Annan's last day, as I recall. So the kids had a special musical uh, tribute to Miss Annan. Um, and then, I, I believe that God brought me here to this space and this place, and the people, and everything about it, as part of this journey that I'm on. Um, I no longer see it as a, as a place or a race or a finish line, but just a continual journey and growth into, into God's calling, and. This environment has nurtured um, my ability to see where it is that God calls me, that God calls me to the streets, that God calls me to minister to the people that are in the streets and to come alongside wherever they are in their pain, in their suffering, or in their joy for that matter. Um, And then... So, fast forward to Colombia. Um, I I went to Colombia in March this past year for two weeks, and we went there to study the uh, the FARC peace agreement, um, the transition of the FARC into um, uh, civil life uh, with the rest of the Colombian community. And it was an amazing experience. It was in three cities there. Primarily Barranquilla, uh, Cartagena, and then just a little bit of of Bogota. Uh, Beautiful, beautiful cities. Beautiful, wonderful people. Um, And all of that was still part of this amazing journey that I've been on ever since that day on that beach in, in May of 2013. And I can remember sitting in this room, sitting, listening to two leaders of the FARC rebel group, a man and a woman, uh, military commanders, and thinking, how in the world did I ever get here? You know, I, I, I grew up in the 80s listening to the stories of, of the FARC and the challenges that they were having with this, this rebellious rebel guerrilla group. Um, and the military campaign against them, and here I am in a room for, I think, two or three hours just engaging in discussion with these, these, these leaders of this rebel group. And I think overall, the greatest thing that I took from that experience was the subjectivity of justice. I think that um, you know these. I just saw grace in these two individuals. A woman, FARC commander. At one time, they were twenty-four thousand strong in their forces. Forty percent of the fighting force within the FARC was women, not because they didn't have enough soldiers, but because it was everybody's purpose to fight for their cause, and they wanted to be there, and they were excellent military commanders. Um, and and another man who who's running for political office now, that had six secret, ser- armed secret servicemen around them because he's a major assassination target. And listening to their side of all of that and what their hopes were and what their dreams were and what they were fighting for. Um, and at the same time, knowing that so many people feel that justice is not being served because these people are free and they're being accepted into society. And they were guerrillas and they were terrorists and they killed people. And from their perspective, their people were killed. When they finished, it's estimated they're around 7,000. So that 24,000 to 7,000 was all from attrition, right? And it was just a really profound statement about the grace of God. And the healing power of grace that supersedes and overrides our human desire sometimes for justice to be able to forgive a person that you may have seen cut down your brother um, many many times over and at the same time be able to ask for forgiveness of that same person, knowing that you cut down their brother many times over, it was a it was a profound, wonderful, wonderful experience. And then, when I come back to here, and three years later, after finding my place here at Hot Metal, and the people, um, the experiences that I've had um, in the streets. The experiences that I've had at the table um, with the staff, um, the I think the 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 special place that Hot Metal has held for me in my discernment and my growth and my understanding of my ministry is giving me a place where I didn't have to follow. A guideline or a direction or I didn't have to listen to what anybody else said if I didn't want to <laughs> um, but just a place that could be supportive in whatever um, wherever God seemed to be calling me and I think that's that's probably the most profoundly important uh,
0: element that it's been to me. Let's pray for Dave, too, and then we're going to pray a sending prayer on Jillian and Dave together. <clears throat> God, uh, Dave has been uh, a gift to us, uh, a, day, a gift to the street community here in Pittsburgh. Um, he has been uh, an inspiration in his uh, radical answer uh, to your call um, to be with your people in the streets. Um, we are grateful for uh, his, uh, his tireless work. We're grateful for his, uh, his openness Um, his care um, for people who are in very difficult and often even life-threatening situations. Um, Grateful for the call that you've put on his life. It does not look like the calls that many seminary graduates have. Um, And so we pray for him uh, and ask that you would uh, continue to uphold him um, in this work as he uh, charts a a fairly unique path. I pray that you would put the supports in place that he needs to continue uh, extending your love and your grace and your compassion uh, to the people um, who need it. Prayer pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Jillian, can you come up? Now, this is not the last time we're going to see Jillian and Dave, but we would like to uh, ask for God's blessing on them as they um, take their call and their experiences to the next place. So um, if anyone would like to, I'd like to invite you up to um, put a hand on um, on a shoulder um, so that we can ask for God's blessing on these two. God of Abraham, you blessed him so that he might be a blessing to others. And we are uh, grateful um, for how this community, the Hot Metal Bridge Faith Community, has been um, a blessing to, to Dave and Jillian. Um, grateful that um, people welcomed them with open arms and um, allowed them space to experiment and to try new things and to, to learn and to grow and to encourage them to living into the unique calling that you have given each of them. Um, their unique spaces of ministry um, do not look like many uh, traditional pastor roles, um, and we are just uh, thankful for their uniqueness, um, for the unique way that you have made them, and for the unique ministries that you have called them to. And we are thankful for the ways that they have blessed us as they have been part of this community, the way that they have faithfully used the gifts that you have given them uh, to encourage us with their words and to inspire us with their actions and to call all of us into a deeper love of Jesus and to share Jesus' love for others. So God, as they prepare to enter the next chapter of their lives. We ask for your continued blessing on them, that you would give them um, the strength to carry um, the blessings they've been given. And uh, we ask that uh, whomever they find themselves with, um, that they would be friends, that whatever they do, that it would be your will for your kingdom, and that whenever they do it, it would be in your timing, and that wherever they may go, uh, that it may be home. Uh, We thank you. And we entrust Dave and Jillian to your continued care. Amen. Amen. Can we thank them again?